The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Mostly, I would say we chafe at being told what to do. Now, I get it that there are some people uh, among us who are those, you know, passive, submissive types, and they just love getting under authority and have it. You know, there, there are people like this. They have no trouble being under authority. But inherent in who we are as human beings is this a rebellious streak. It's a, a fierce independence that results in a you-can't-tell-me-what-to-do stubbornness. I may be just talking about myself here. I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm, I'm probably some of you maybe would admit this a little bit. Um, this, of course, started all the way back in the beginning with the first uh, human beings, the first uh, man and woman believed the lie that they would be as God. And the temptation that they caved into was that they would no longer be under authority, but that they would actually be equal with God. They would actually be, as a result, under their own authority. And so they rebelled. Listen, this is so important. They rebelled against his word. They rebelled against what he said. And the result, the result has been so devastating. So that you and I are constantly experiencing the negative and painful effects of our rebellion against God's authority. I mean, I read through the prayer request from last week. I did that this morning. 112 prayer requests that were submitted and there's so much evidence of the pain that we're carrying as people as a result of the sinful choice that we made to say god's not going to tell me what to do i'm going to make my way on my own now all that said it can be different it can be different than that in Luke chapter 4, the passage we're going to look at today, the people, this is one of the phrases, the people were astonished. They were amazed when they heard his teaching because his word, this is what they said, his word possessed authority. And it changed everything for them. And it can change everything for you this morning. If you're willing to recognize the authority of God's word in your life. Let me read uh, the text, and then we'll pound away at that very thought. Uh, This is uh, Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 31 through to the end of this chapter. And he, that is Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. 
And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick and with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. The people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Ready to pray? Let's pray. Father, um, having read your word just now, we want to be, at least I would pray on behalf of those who would say, we want to be under the authority of your word. And I pray for those in the room who don't want to be under its authority. In fact, I pray for all of us because it's in all of our hearts to rebel against you in one way or another. So God, challenge our rebellions, encourage uh, those whose hearts need to be strengthened today. Uh, Teach us all what we don't know, and ultimately draw us all closer to you in relationship. Father, thank you uh, for hearing this prayer. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. All right, here's the nail we're going to pound this morning. When you recognize the authority of God's word, here's the first thing that happens. It draws out worship. It draws out worship. Notice in verses 31 and 32 that they were, this is the words that we highlighted even in the introduction, uh, they were astonished. Another word, other translations would put amazed there. Uh, The definition of that word uh, means to be in awe of something, to marvel at something, or I love this one, simply to be overwhelmed with it. They were overwhelmed. It was like their brains literally could not process the things that they were seeing. They had no categories for what was happening in front of them. There was just something about Jesus. There was something about his presence. There was something about the words that he spoke. It was different than anything they'd ever heard before. And of course, we know the difference was in the empowerment of God's Holy Spirit. We saw that in our last message in verse 14 of chapter 4. We know that Jesus returned from the temptation, uh, having uh, uh, gained the victory over the evil one. Uh, He returned in the power of the Spirit, verse 14. We know that Jesus, uh, citing Isaiah's prophecy, said in verse 18, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It was in the power of God's Holy Spirit that Jesus did these things. And that was the thing that caused the awe, the amazement, the the reality that people were overwhelmed by what was happening in front of them. And when God's Spirit is present, I mean, this is just a principle that just makes sense. When God's Spirit is present, worship happens. You can't help but worship when God's Spirit is 
is present. There's no way when God's spirit is truly working. And if your spirit is in tuned with that and you're not in rebellion against God, there's no way to miss it. There's no way to be unaware of God's Holy Spirit when he shows up and manifests himself. And we may not be able to fully grasp what's happening, but at the very least, we'll be astonished, we'll be amazed, we'll be in awe of him, we'll be overwhelmed. We may say, there's just something about, I don't even know what to say, I can't put my finger on it, I can't explain it, there's just something that happened. And we may even stumble over our words trying to figure out exactly What we just experienced. Now making this point about worship and drawing it out of these verses, these first couple of verses that we read. He's teaching on the Sabbath. They were astonished, verse 32, at his teaching. His word possessed authority. I mean, this whole thing that's happening in front of them. What I'm not saying is that these people fully got it. I'm not saying that they fully understood that they were even worshiping in the sense that we would think of worship, the way that we just spent some time, a half an hour, singing songs and praying together and, 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 and lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that they understood it in that way. But there was indeed a sense of being stopped in their tracks. And that too is worship. I mean, we have a greater understanding of who we worship our second pillar here at harvest is uh, lifting high the name of jesus christ in worship we we know his name we know what he did for us we we know um, how he's changed our lives and we worship him from a knowledge base having the new testament to teach us having the old testament to show us who he was going to be when he came We have more well-defined forms for worship. We plan out our worship. But with all of that true, what I pray for, what I desire more than anything else is that beyond the songs that we pick, beyond the rehearsals, beyond the going over the message, beyond all the things that we do to make this an amazing time of worship as the church gathers together, what I want more than anything else Is that we would be in awe of God. That we would get to a place of being overwhelmed. Where where we would be leaving this place without even possessing the words to describe what happened here. I want our church to be amazed and astounded at what they experience week by week as we gather together. More amazement. Can't plan it can't rehearse it, can't conjure it up. It'll only happen because we've been in the presence of God and we've come to the realization about who he truly is and that he has authority in our lives. He is God and we are not is the basis for our worship. And so when you recognize the authority of God's word, it draws out worship and notice this, and even some fear I was um, reminded this week, uh, Jennifer's right down here, and she posted on my Facebook page this, you know, when she was younger, just this confusion over these family members who uh, were described as being God-fearing people. Have you heard that expression before? God-fearing people. Uh, And I would just say, I'm not going to get you to raise your hand, but I think a lot of us have heard that expression and then wondered 
whether that was a good thing or not. That seems like an odd description of a God who is most often described, or at least the more desirable traits of our God are that he is gracious and merciful and loving towards us and that he wants to pour out blessing. And when someone is that kind of God, when that's our concept of him, then we have this sense of being afraid of him. That's kind of pushed off to the side or it's not even on our radar at all. And so the notion of being God-fearing, that's a little confusing for us but there is a line in worship and i'll admit that it's hard to define often we see in scriptures the word awe translated or sometimes it's translated as a reverence it's the same word that is often translated fear and this is rooted in the reality that we are sinners separated from our god and that he is perfectly holy completely righteous there is no sin in him whatsoever and when you find yourself at odds with god and realize that he is all powerful all the power of the universe is in our god and you realize that he is all knowing There is nothing that happens in the universe. There is nothing that happens in your life that he is not aware of. And when you realize that he is all present, everywhere present. Well, you see, if you got something to hide. If you got something people don't know about. You see, that ought to cause you to shake in your boots a little bit. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's everywhere present. You're not escaping him. So maybe we understand God fearing just a little bit more now, you see. It should strike fear in our hearts. A healthy fear. Now I'd like to think that we could learn from God's word. I'd like to think that that we come here every week to learn uh, from the Lord, to learn from his word, to learn about Jesus and to be just like Jesus. You might be surprised to hear that in some ways I want you to be just like demons. Shocking. Oh God, I got your attention. A few heads popped up as soon as I said that. It was actually kind of fun to watch. I wish you could have seen it. What did he say? Did I hear him say? Yes, we can learn some things from demons. And in this case, in this passage, actually, we're going to learn a couple of things. But it should be this, first of all, in this passage, uh, fear God. Because they do. Verses 33 to 35, um, they fear him. Their fear is blatantly obvious as they have this conversation with someone that they have known a very long time. These demons live in the spirit realm, just as Jesus does, just as God does. They were there in the beginning. They were created by him. They know God better than you and I know him. They know the inner workings of the universe better than you and I do. They are infinitely more intelligent than we are. And they fear God. Knowing him the way they know him, they they fear him. And so we have this little conversation going on. Verse 33, the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. I find that phrasing a little funny. I don't think there's any clean demons. And he cried out with a loud voice. Ha! Or hey! Or whoa! 
it's, it's an exclamation of some kind to say that they're a bit caught off guard here. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Now, listen, they're not asking that question, knowing what they know about Jesus, unless they knew he could. Get it? They know, like, in a second, as, as very God of very God, who Jesus is, he could vaporize them. So they're afraid of him. That's the thing that most people lack. A right perspective on God's terrible power. We have this sanitized version of God and it's a distortion. We have this kindly old gentleman view of who our God is. He's always safe. He's always nice. And honestly, that view of God is keeping us, listen now, it's keeping us from better worship. We ought to fear him a little bit more. How many fans here of um, C.S. Lewis's epics, the Chronicles of Narnia? Just raise your hand. Um, So I'm going to read a little bit here uh, from that story from uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. This is the, out of the set of seven that I read to my kids and Um, There's a scene that contains, for those of you that aren't into the fantasy genre, have never read Lewis, there's a scene that contains talking beavers. That's not unusual, of course. And um, uh, talking beavers and, work with me here, a powerful theology. No one said it quite like Lewis did. And God has to really think about it in very different terms. The children are on their first journey to Narnia, And um, Mr. Beaver's about to take them to see Aslan, the lion. Now, in in Lewis, this is the Christ figure. Aslan is the Christ figure. And it's all allegory and pointing us to the story of the gospel. And so the children ask him, uh, knowing that he's a lion, they rightly inquire as to whether or not he is, in in their words, do you remember the word? They ask if if he's safe. Here's what Mr. Beaver says. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. You shall understand when you see him. But shall we see him, asked Susan? Why, daughter of Eve? That's what I brought you here for. I'm to lead you to where you shall meet him, said Mr. Beaver. Is, is he a man? Asked Lucy. Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I'm longing to see him, said Peter. Even if I do feel frightened. 
when it comes to the point. It's awesome, right? I mean, that's, that's who our God is. And we need to recapture some of that God-fearing nature of worship. Maybe this will help you. I love uh, Lewis, but I love the Word of God more. Um, fantasy is fun. It helps us just think of things in a different way. But how about reality? How about prophetic reality? How about this is what's going to happen and this is our God? From Daniel's prophecy in chapter 7, as I looked, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. Fire flowing from the throne of God. That's who our God is. That's the awesomeness of who he is. Or I love this from Revelation chapter 19, the end of the age, this description of Jesus Christ. As the rider on the white horse, one of my favorite passages in all of the prophecies, then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Is this your picture of Jesus Christ? See, this is going to help with the God-fearing part when you realize this is Jesus. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white, linen, white and pure were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the almighty and on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written king of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Amen. You know, however you might do it, remind yourself regularly about all aspects of who God is. He's awesome. He's overwhelming. And he is in the right sense of it to be feared. So notice also, when you recognize the authority of God's word, it, it causes a stir around you. We already looked at some things that are happening inside of us concerning worship and the fear of God. But very simply, we see in verses 36 and 37 that reports about him went out in every place in the surrounding region after he had healed this man of the demon. When individual Christ followers are excited about their faith and responding to what God says in his word, when they're worshiping, when they're fearing God in the right sense of that. That when they're seeing God at work in their lives, that causes a stir amongst those who don't know him. Now, this is particularly true. And we see this in this church. I love that we get to see this. 
But when we see someone who's in their 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s come to faith in Jesus Christ, when they make that profession of faith in their adult years, not having known the church, not having walked with God, and they have all these different relationships with people who also do not know the Lord, when that person comes to faith in Christ and they begin to say things on Facebook, they begin to tweet different things, people begin to see the change in their lives, when all of a sudden the manner of their living is being altered and they lose their taste for the things of this world all their friends and family are going i don't know what happened to you you're not the person i knew before that conversion that turning to jesus causes a stir around them and it's exciting to watch when a church sees multiple stories like that, ongoing stories of life change as a result of the work of Christ in their lives. As a result of the preaching of God's word, as a result of people getting under the authority of God's word, that too causes a stir. People talk. People that don't even, listen, this is the crazy thing. People that don't even want to believe in God. People who are like, that's, I'm just checking out on that. That's not even something I want to pursue. Are all of a sudden, they're skirting around the edges of it. They're, they're, they're trying to get a peek in the window. Where they never asked a question before and never wondered about God. All of a sudden, their attention is peaked and they're actually asking the questions. What is this that's changed you? Tell me more about this. And in many occasions, what happens is they'll actually come in the door and sit down and in those first few minutes wonder how they ever got here. What am I doing here? I never in a million years would have found myself inside a church wondering about all of this. It creates a stir. Why does it do that? Because of the obvious results that are happening in people's lives. The reports about Jesus went out because people's lives were being radically transformed by the preaching and by the healings that were happening. Look at verses 38 and 39. Back to 36, of course, with authority and power, he had commanded the unclean spirits. They came out. Reports about him went everywhere. Verse 38, he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. They appealed to him on her behalf, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Jesus heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law. First of all, let me say this. It's always a good thing, men, to keep your mother-in-law on your good side, right? Stay on her good side. Do good things for your mother-in-law. Keep peace in the family. It's going to go well for you and your wife. I mean, this is a solid move by Peter here, right? We all agree with that. Now, secondly, the way this thing reads, you would think that the men were just sitting around trying to figure out how they could get a meal, right? They're they're all like, hmm, we're kind of hungry, but Pete's mom, his mother-in-law is a little sick right now. Let's ask Jesus to heal her and then maybe she can fix us some food. You see where this is going? Don't you read the text and think about these things? I read the Bible and I go, what is going on here? This is some kind of crazy sexist thing that's going on with these guys. They don't even know how to pull a couple of burgers out of the fridge and grill them up. And um, well, it's not exactly that. 
Nothing sinister or sexist here. The, this is basically told us to show that she was indeed fully healed. I mean, how many of us have ever had a fever? And the thing that happens when you have a fever is that's, that's all that's happening. When you have a fever, that's all that's happening. You lay there with a fever. You can't do anything else. Hot sweats, cold sweats. You don't feel like getting out of bed, pleading with Jesus to take you home, right? <laughs> True? True? That and vomiting. When I, I, fever and vomiting, I like plead with Jesus. I'm done. My work is finished here. Just take me to be with you, right? Was that TMI talking about vomit this morning? Probably. Well, it's meant to mostly show that she was fully healed, so completely healed that she got up and made them all a meal. She was fully strengthened. The fever had completely left her. I mean, there was something happening. The stir was being caused because people were having demons cast out and people were having fevers taken away from them. And those who were lame were able to walk again. And those who were blind were able to see. Jesus was causing a stir with his words that were astounding them and with his actions that were healing them. And we might ask the question, so why weren't we seeing that kind of thing here today? And anytime you see churches that are kind of emphasizing the healing thing, we all kind of look at that and go, that is fake. So much in the way of charlatans kind of plying their trade out of there, out there. And what we see today is so much less about the miraculous healing in that sense. But we certainly agree that God can still heal. We agree with that. But we also understand this. God has often worked, and we see this even as you read through the entire scriptures. One of the beautiful things about reading through it is you can discover that God worked in different ways at different times. That sometimes God kind of showed up in more miraculous ways to do healings. And and really what's happening in the Gospels when Jesus is doing this is the healings are all meant really to attract attention. The healings are meant to be, and I love this illustration, the healings are signposts that point to the destination. Every healing is, is showing them, listen, this is the Messiah and you ought to listen to his message. That's the point of the miracles. And so we shouldn't be surprised that it's not happening in exactly the same way in our days because we have the gospel. We have an understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And the obligation has been given to us in the Great Commission to go out and make disciples ourselves. And so the miracle that we see on an ongoing basis is the miracle, the miracles of transformed lives. The healings that we get to see are the marriages that were wrecked and headed towards divorce that, that God's spirit seized upon and, and people got repentant. Husbands and wives looked at each other in the face and said, it was me. No, it was me. And they repent and they put it together. The miracles that we get to see are the people who have been freed from addictions of all kinds. And who are walking free of those things. The miracles that we get to see are those whose financial crises were reversed. People who were hopeless, considering taking their own lives, who were given hope. People who were burdened down with guilt and shame, who found relief in Jesus Christ. These are no small things. In fact, these are the greater things that Jesus said we would see. People able to forgive. 
bitterness overcome, malice put aside. There's hardly anything to me that's more miraculous than that, that people can set aside things that were so grievous and so hurtful to them and forgive another person. That causes a stir because of the obvious results of God's spirit working in our midst. Now, none of this is automatic. You have to get yourself under. You have to recognize the authority of God's word to see all of this happening in our lives. And when we do that, it creates some personal implications. If you want the benefit of everything that we're talking about here, then understand there there are some personal implications. Now take a look at verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. I mean, the healings continue. Some were being freed from demons. Now there's two different accounts here of demons being a cast out of a person. We live in this overly rationalistic culture that doesn't do well with the concept of spirituality alone, let alone the idea of demons. We don't do well with this. As Christ followers, we shouldn't have any trouble at all believing that some people are indeed tormented and gripped by demons. I've been with some people my early days of walking with Christ. Um, I was um, raised in the Anglican church, but I came to hear the gospel in the Salvation Army and uh, down in St. Thomas, Ontario. And uh, St. Thomas had um, what I believe was the largest psychiatric hospital in the province. Um, some psychiatric conditions, listen to me now, some psychiatric conditions are not psychiatric conditions. Some of what we would think is mental illness, some, please hear me and quote me correctly, some are demons. But we're too rationalistic for that. We're too smart for that. We have books that say it's something else and they diagnose it in a different way. In my days in the Sally Ann, we had the occasion to be in the psychiatric hospital several times and dealing with people, doing services. Many of those people, because the Sally Ann is kind of uh, down on the streets and helping people as best they can, people who are the down and out and don't have a lot of advantages in our society, we saw a lot of them come to church. I told someone this week the story, we would have these testimony services on Sunday evenings and, and we would just sing and people would stand up and give a word about how God was changing their lives. And we had one man who would come to the church on a fairly regular basis. It was, it was a bit disturbing to be around him at times, to be honest with you. I've never really felt anything like I felt when he was around. And he stood up, I remember, on one occasion in one of those testimony services. And he began quoting the scriptures from memory. A lengthy passage and multiple passages. Now listen, the word of God is given to us. It's a, it's a, it's a light unto our path. These words are sweeter to us than honey from the honeycomb. 
And when I hear the word of God, I'm supposed to be lifted up and built up at the hearing of God's word. But as this man quoted the scriptures, I was so frightened. There was a spirit of fear that came over this room, this place of worship with all of these Christ followers in the room. I can't say definitively that man had a demon. I think that man had a demon. There's no other way to explain how the word of God could be so creepy. It just set me off. And I was a brand new believer. How would I even know stuff like that? Too rationalistic about this. It happens. It's there. Jesus rebukes these demons. He casts them out. Now, notice what the demons say, verse 41. 41. They affirm. They say, you're the son of God. You say, why wasn't Jesus like fired up about the advertising? Well, first of all, you don't want demons advertising for you. Okay, that just makes sense, correct? These are not your best salesmen. And so they're not, he's not fired up about that. And his time hadn't come. I mean, the scriptures give us the end. But his time had not yet come. It wasn't just about him coming to identify himself and give his life. We said, again, in, in, in the first message in this, this part of Luke, that, that there was a message he had to preach. There were things he needed to accomplish. There were followers that he needed to call to himself. There were things that needed to be ready. He wasn't ready for people to get the whole thing. But they say right out loud, you're the son of God. And of course, there's a repeat of what we saw in verse 34. See, they know who he is. Of course they know. They have full knowledge of who God is, as we said earlier. The problem with the demons was and is not knowledge of God, but their willingness to be an authority under God. It's not a knowledge problem, but an authority problem. It wasn't a belief problem because they believe in God. But it was a rebellion problem, an obedience problem. They just didn't want to get under his leadership. And in that regard, some people, maybe even in this room, are really no better than the demons. It's not a knowledge problem. You know about God. You know a lot about him. It's not a belief problem. You believe that he exists. But the problem you're having is an obedience problem. The problem that you're having is an authority problem. You still want to be under your own authority. You still want to call your own shots. Now, these people weren't really yet in the know, the ones who are watching all of this. And so they're kind of confused by it all. If they believed that he was the Messiah or they were beginning to believe that he was the Messiah or Savior, they were really confused about what that would really mean. We've talked about that many times. They were really seeing it only in the political realm. They weren't really seeing the spiritual side of it. They certainly didn't have any concept of all at all of a suffering Savior. They didn't have any notion that he would be arrested, that he would be convicted that he would be crucified they certainly had no concept whatsoever that three days later he'd be resurrected to new life they didn't understand the prophecies it wasn't even part of any possible scenario that was in their minds but we have no such excuse we know all those things and more. We know who Jesus is. We have the testimony of the word of God in our hands. You have chosen today to come to this place where you knew the word of God would be proclaimed. 
No excuse. As a result, there's some personal implications. The appearance of the Son of God in human form in our world is indication enough that God has effected a rescue plan for us. He sent His Son. He took on human flesh. He lived among us. He experienced all that we experienced. And He took our sin upon Himself on the cross. That's the rescue plan. But, but like any rescue... As the rescuer reaches down, you've got to take his hand. For us, really, that just means you have to exercise just even the smallest amount of faith. That's it. You don't have to understand everything about God at this point. You don't have to understand all the ins and outs of the word of God or everything about Jesus. You just don't. You just need to say, I'm, I have a need. I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God. I know that. My life's a mess. You just need to reach up in faith and say, God, take my hand. Rescue me. Lift me out of this. Show me the way. Give me what I need to follow you, to believe, to get under the authority of your word. See, this is the greater healing. This is the forgiveness of sins. It's available to any and all who would ask for it. So these are the implications for you. The authority and the power of God's word in your life would ask this. What needs to be confessed in your life? What needs to be repented of? What do you need to turn from that's currently part of your life that shouldn't be? What do you need to put out and put off? What needs to be given up? What do you need to act upon? What needs to be put into your life? What do you need more of? What needs to be believed? Likely you already know, but you're fighting God over it. You can't tell me what to do, God. These are the personal implications to honoring Jesus with his the message that he proclaims to us. And beyond all of that, when we believe, there will be this ongoing desire. A deep desire for more of him. Verses 42 through 44, Jesus is taking leave of the people of Capernaum. When it was day, he departed. He went into a desolate place. There's a whole sermon, by the way, just in that phrase. Him pulling aside, pulling back, getting away from the crowds, time with his father. The people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. Please don't leave. What we've seen is awesome. What we've seen has astounded us. We don't get it fully, but it's amazing. We're overwhelmed by it. Of course, you'd want Jesus to stay. Now, I'm not saying that what they desired was with perfect motives. What they wanted were more healings. What they wanted was more tangible blessings. We have the same problem. They wanted more splash and pizzazz, something we could all use in our lives. God, more, more splash and pizzazz, please. Again, we can see the whole thing with a little bit more perspective. But he said to them, verse 43, 
I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. I was sent for this purpose. This is why I'm here. I'm here to preach. It's not about all the healings and all the demon casting out and all of that. It's not about all of that. Those are just pointing to the message. I told you the message. I got to go to another town now and tell them. It says he was preaching in all the synagogues of Judea, that whole area of the world. He was giving himself to proclaiming the message. See, when the authority of God's word grips you, you will be getting so much more, Jesus. You will be going deeper with him. When you get it, you want even more. So that the the prayer that we pray is, God, I love what you're doing in my life. God, I love what you're doing in our church. God, you've done such great things. More, please. More, please. Thank you, God, for what you've done. Express the gratitude. Show that you're content with what he gave. But then if it's a good thing, it's not a bad thing to ask for. God, I love what you've been doing here. I love the transformed lives. I love how you're working in my life. I love how I'm feeling more intimate with you. God, could I be even closer? Could you do even more, please? I mean, the true follower of Christ who's really under the authority of God's word will experience such blessing and will want even more of that. Now, here's the catch. Ready? If you're going to ask for more Jesus, then it's going to have to be less of what? Of me. Less of me. That's the catch. We've got to have Jesus flooding our lives. It's got to be so much, so much less of me. What you're really asking for is a change from what we said was the natural way that we're wired up. We're not wired up to be under authority. We're really asking for God to take us from you can't tell me what to do to God tell me more. Give me more. Help me to understand more. Show me what needs to change. Make me just like Jesus. It's going to happen. When and if you recognize the authority of God's word in your life. Let's pray. God and Father, it's, a, it's an awesome thing to be here today, to be able to spend this time uh, with you and with your church. Father, we feel humbled by that. We feel privileged and blessed in so many ways. And uh, we prayed off the top, Father, that you would challenge our rebellions. And even those of us who love you and have walked with you for many, many years still have a great sense in our own hearts that there are areas of our lives that are unsurrendered. But there are times when we hear your word, we read it for ourselves, and we challenge it. There are things in our lives that we are slow to let go of. And so God, I would just pray for all of us right now. New believer, longtime believer. God, that we would hear your word today, renew our commitment and our passion to be under your authority, to hear what you say to us, 
and to do it, to find the blessing that comes from that. And I pray, God, for those in the room who are still in full rebellion against you. They have not bowed their knee. They have not surrendered their life. They have not declared you to be Lord and Savior of their life. Father, they're still saying in every area of their life that they want to do it by themselves. God, I pray that in this moment, because we know that salvation is of the Lord, God, we know that when your Holy Spirit comes upon a person, they cannot resist it. So God, I pray in this moment that if there are any in this room who do not know you as Savior of their life, that in this moment, they would. They would acknowledge the authority of God's word in their life. And they would turn in faith, however small, to you. Father, hear this prayer. We pray it in faith, believing in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.